It's ETE for me. We are live. Community Broadcasting Education Technology and Entertainment. Welcome to the CoBeat Podcast, hosted by D. Bale. What's really good, world? It's your media arts specialist, educational technologist, D. Bale, and we're back with the CoBeat Podcast. CoBeat stands for Community Broadcasting Education Technology and Entertainment brought to you by Russell Media and myself. So I'm glad to be back with y'all for the third episode of the Kobe Podcast, but this is the EdTech App Part 2. And with this episode, I wanted to talk about how I ended up going back to school. What was the motivation that sparked me to try to enroll into a program like this in my, let's say my later age? It was literally 15 years from 2005 when I decided to go back to school in 2021, 15, 16 years. So that's a huge gap. What really spurred me to go back to school in the first place was just kind of a a, a necessity to make sure that I'm staying sharp. Sometimes you need growth and growth comes through uncomfortability. Now, I did a vlog, which you guys can check out, and in which I spoke about graduating in 2005 with my bachelor's degree in media arts and earning a GPA that wasn't the greatest. Now, for my major, because you have to have at least a 3.0 in your major classes to be able to graduate. So I was able to achieve that because I love media, but it was some of those other classes (laughs) that kind of dragged me down. I got an F in one class that was never offered again, so I couldn't comp it, meaning take it over again to get a better grade. So I was stuck with like this 2.4 GPA. Now at the time, I'm thinking to myself like, all right, cool, 2.4, 2.4. It doesn't matter. As long as I get a degree and I know I'm going into the entertainment industry, that, that, that was my passion. I didn't care if it was at a radio station, a record label, a television station, like that was my goal. And I said, they're not going to really look at my GPA for entertainment. And that's pretty much what I was told. Like, you got the bachelor's degree. It's not like you're going to become a medical doctor or, you know, where they're going to look at stuff like that and say, okay, what was his GPA? It's like, it's entertainment. You know, you got the bachelor's, good. That's what you need. That's the prerequisite. Welcome to the entertainment business. In 2005, when I got that degree, I was already kind of on the road to entertainment. Like, I came into school and I attended New Jersey City University in Jersey City, New Jersey. I was told from the door from freshman year, you don't get co-op internship opportunities until your junior year. And I could not wait that long. I cracked open that yellow <laughs> that uh that yellow book, <laughs> the yellow pages. And that's just giving y'all, my age is showing here, but I cracked open the yellow pages and I started looking up record labels. I went online, I started looking up record labels and I was just determined to kind of do my own thing. So I got my first internship at 19 working for uh, collegeclub.com and also another internship with a small record label. I don't even know if they still exist called 321 Records where I did like street team marketing, online marketing, because that was like a new thing at the time, online street teams, online promotional groups. So I got into that. And then when I was 20, I was able to get the opportunity to work at Electra Records. So under, shout out to my boy, Court Digger, 
You know what I'm saying? He was one of my supervisors. He's an entertainment industry vet. He has put in so much work over the years. Shout out to you, Court. And another, my direct supervisor, her name was Rosalind Law. I'll never forget her name. Um, she was real cool. So I literally talked my way into those internships because it wasn't anything I was getting for credit. It was just something that I wanted to do. So that was pretty impressive at that period of time because most entertainment internships, it has to be directly connected to that co-op internship department where you're going to get some credits for it and the company can say, okay, this is, you know, we're, we're working with universities and colleges to help people find employment or help people find opportunity through an internship. I finally got the internship through the university, thanks to my co-op internship advisor, Mr. Arroyo, he basically asked me, you know, where do you, he, he knew how passionate I was. And he was impressed himself that I had went, took it upon myself to go ahead and get these internships of my own. But now I got to get this internship for credit. So I ended up at where I wanted to be. I said, yo, send me to MTV. MTV. It was the biggest network for music, period, at that time. And it probably still is. I wanted to be at MTV. And MTV Networks was a conglomerate of a lot of other companies, which also included VH1 Radio. And that's where I ended up working, at VH1 Radio through the internship. So that was a cool opportunity. So I, I got this entertainment background, right? And, and then I end up getting internships at Comcast, Disney World. Like I, I made my rounds. I went down to Orlando for a summer, amazing opportunities. And I, I graduated 2005. Now, in the midst of working, I'm finding that in the entertainment industry, although I've had some great opportunities, including television, I got a television gig around 2006 with Music Choice. It was cool. It was great. It was awesome. But, mm, <laughs> The entertainment industry provides a lot of part-time opportunities. It's very hard to get a full-time position, nine to five with full benefits. Most of the people that I knew that were starting off in the entertainment industry were freelancing. They're working 10, 20 hours a week. It's, it's not enough. Even being on TV, like it, it just, it, it wasn't enough. The hourly rate was, was astronomical. It was like, whoa, you making this much an hour? But if I'm only working two hours a <laughs> two hours a shoot, then it's kind of like if I'm making a hundred dollars an hour or hundred fifty dollars an hour, that that's great. That is that that's a nice piece of change. But then you work in two hours, so it's kind of like ah, it's different, you know. So I got to fill in the blanks within that time. A lot of these jobs don't come with any health benefits, and of course, that's what your your family's worried about. You know, you got health care. You know what's going on with that. At this time, I'm young. I'm in my mid-20s, so I'm like, hey, you know, I ain't really worried about healthcare and all that stuff. I get sick, I'll take some vitamin C and keep it pushing. But then as you start to get deeper into the game, and now I'm in my late 20s, and the entertainment industry alone is not enough for me to sustain what I'm trying to obtain. I want a house. I want a, I want a new car. I want to be able to uh, help provide and support my significant other. Because I had met my future wife at that point. So I was like, you know, I, I got to start like thinking more future oriented. So simultaneously while I'm working in entertainment, I'm, I'm, I'm working in education. I'm a licensed substitute teacher. 
I'm running a media arts class during the summer with the pre-college program. So I'm finding ways through education to help me supplement some of the things that weren't happening in entertainment in terms of financial financials and stability because that's another that's another big piece that stability that lack of stability that the entertainment industry offers is is scary i ended up getting a job in 2007 at wbls so once again happy great awesome wbls one of the greatest radio brands radio stations ever to exist initially first couple months oh 20, 30 hours a week, banging them out. And then we hit these dry spells that kind of happen around the holidays where it's not a lot going on. And I'm like, wait a minute, you know, I, I got to do something about this. So that's how I ended up getting my substitute teaching license within the mix of me. Between 2005 and between 2007, I ended up doing all those things to help me kind of secure my spot. Now, I co-hosted a television show called Certified on Music Choice. I'm working at WBLS. I'm my my my. Goal is to either lock down a, a radio program on the station or just to get to, to maintain a consistency working in television, right? Because I did television for about a year and then the show got placed on hiatus and then they brought the show back, but they decided not to go with the former host. They decided to do something totally different. So that was just like, it's just, it's like, wait, wait a minute. And, and entertainment is, is rough because Sometimes it's it's not you. It's not the talent. It's not. It's just yo the nature of the business. I got a chance to see the entertainment industry transform from you know physical content to digital content, and within that spectrum, a lot of people lost their jobs. Within that spectrum, a lot of things changed. So uh, many people were switching careers at that time. So now, like I said, I'm in a good position because I'm able to work part-time in education, work part-time in entertainment, but it's still not 100% gelling. I need those benefits. I need a 401k. I, I, that's what I'm looking for. So then thank you uh, to the leadership. Uh, rest in peace to Mr. Beeman and um, big shout out to Gary Patnosh. They ran the New Jersey Youth Corps program in New Jersey City, and I ended up getting a job under their leadership. It started off part-time, but then within three months, I was excelling, and they said, you know what? We want to make you full-time, but we know you got this radio thing going on, and at that point, it was a tough decision because now if I'm going to go full-time into education, that's going to limit the time, space, and opportunity I have in entertainment, which was my first passion, so I had to accept that. I had to take that and say, you know what? Mm, I need the stability right now. And I can still work at the radio station on the weekends, which I did for a number of years. And everything was all good. Now, the pandemic hits, okay? And now my entertainment situation is in severe jeopardy because there's no events happening. Now, we're still, quote unquote, employed by the station, but there is nothing happening. We're jumping on Zoom, you know, every two months or so to basically reiterate, yeah, it's dead right now. And and it just, it just, nothing was going on, right? So the first couple weeks before, or I would say maybe the week before we went on our lockdown, I had a younger coworker that 
was helping us to make that switch, telling us about Zoom, telling us how to bring our desktop from the job remotely to our home. Those were like the two major things that we did. And then the first two weeks of being online and teaching, we lost three students. One of those students ended up doing some significant time in jail, unfortunately. And I remember the day he looked on the camera. He said, I can't do this, man. I can't, I can't do this online thing. Like I need to be physically in school. And that just, this was March, 2020. That just was not happening. And that really bothered me because I said to myself, although, you know, people will say, well, you can't save everybody. And when you're in education and when you are a passionate educator and you look at your kids as if that could be you, empathy, like real empathy, or you find pieces of you and all the students that you work with or most of the students that you, that you work with, you're going to go above and beyond and you're going to take things home at night. You're going to be thinking about things. And you're going to say, what could I have done better? What could I have done different? So immediately being in this remote space, I started to see kind of like the attitudes of educators across the country. And because I was on Reddit, I was on a couple of different forums and I'm, I'm reading and I just saw the frustration. Now, I work for an alternative program. I don't work for Department of Education. So we're, we're, we do things a little bit differently. We work with students 16 to 25 that dropped out of traditional school that are coming into our program to earn their high school diploma through the GED test, as well as gain professional and personal development, community service opportunities, all that kind of wrapped in mentorship, all those good things. So we work a lot differently than DOE in a sense. So we have certain flexibilities as well with that. And the whole idea is like teach the GED, like give them the content that they need to be able to pass the GED. However you do that, there are no restrictions on that. You know, the DOE might say, well, you have to pull from this curriculum. You do this, do that. But for us, it's kind of like if that's what's going to get them to pass social studies and RLA, then that's what you're going to do. You know, if that's YouTube videos, whatever it is that you got in your arsenal. Problem was, I didn't have much of an arsenal. I had somewhat of an arsenal, but I was like, man, like I really need to step up. I, 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 I every day as we're sitting in the house, some of you are out there working, frontline workers, whether you worked in the medical profession, construction, big ups to all of y'all. Cause like I was able to stay home during this period of time. And a lot of other people were taking serious risk every day to get out there to serve the public. But I'm going to be honest with y'all. Like, as I'm sitting there in the crib every day, I just felt myself mentally kind of declining. Like, I didn't feel like I didn't feel like I was progressing on, on an educational level. And I, I just needed to do things differently because I said, we don't know how long we're going to be on this lockdown. Like, this is not like a one week, two week type of situation. So a lot of us educators had to find ways to develop new skill sets. And for me, that 2.4 hanging over my head, I wasn't able to go back and get into a master's program because of that. Now, I ended up 
after years of trying to get into some type of educational program, uh, I made a cold call because I got reaccepted to NJCU, not for my master's, but for my bachelor's. I was going to get a second bachelor's because the advice that I got was basically, oh, you got a 2.4, go get another bachelor's. And then use that bachelor's to apply for a master's program. Because like once the degree is done, it's done. There's nothing I could do to change the 2.4. It was what it was. It is what it is. And me being the person I am, very faithful person, I trust in God with all my heart and soul. I said, if I got to go back to school and get another bachelor's degree, so be it. Because I kind of blame myself for the situation I was in. That. My undergrad journey was was great and it wasn't so great. You know what I mean? Like, you you know, like I've had a lot of fun. <laughs> Obviously, my undergrad, too much fun, perhaps. So that 2.4 and me not finishing a four-year degree in four years, it took me six years, seven years to get a bachelor's degree done because I dropped so many classes in and out, in and out. That was my fault. So if it took me to go back to school and get another bachelor's degree, and it would only took me maybe three years this time because you don't have to take all of the general credits over again, then I was going to go ahead and do that. Because at that point, all we had was time anyway. We were all, we, you know, it was just, it was COVID, pandemic. There's not, not, it's not too much going on anyway. So I got accepted for the bachelor's and I remember, and I did a vlog about this, a freshman advisor called me and she basically was questioning me like why are you going back to get another bachelor's when you already have one and I was trying to explain the situation long story short she said listen you can do whatever you want but I think you should reach out to some other graduate studies departments on campus and see what you could do although their requirement most graduate programs if not all at least a 3.0 at least for even the consideration, I have a 2.4. But I start looking at the NJCU website because as an employee, I get my tuition waived. Now I have to pay certain student fees, but I'm not paying full price. That's a gem for some of you out there. If you wanna go back to school and you wanna go back to school and pay as little as possible, get a job, at a university or a college because some of the perks that are provided not only pay for your education, it could pay for your child's education, half of it, or even your spouse's education, half of it, depending on what, you know, your union, whatever standards they have set up. So that's a jewel. And I knew that years prior. That's why I was trying to get into a program, but that 2.4 was really hurting me. I stumbled across the ed tech page and I always had like an interest because ed tech, when I was a, a undergrad, I used to see ed tech material all the time. And I was said to myself, man, that's, that seems pretty, I love technology, I love education. But once again, entertainment was my number one goal. So I was kind of like, eh, that seems interesting. But now I'm in a situation where I am an educator, right? I'm still in the entertainment business, but there's not a lot going on. So when I find this ed tech program at NJCU, I start to like look through the curriculum and I'm looking at these classes and I'm like, wow, this stuff looks really interesting. And it's really about preparing educators 
to efficiently use technology to provide a more efficient learning experience for your students. That's really what I'm, I'm taking away from this. So I made a cold call. I will always big up Dr. Kozar. She, she changed my entire life with that phone call. She understood where I was coming from. I think we talked for maybe 45 minutes. Mind you, first time ever speaking to this person, vice versa. She felt my passion. She understood where I was trying to go. And she made a phone call or two. And I got a call back from the leadership in the department, or I got an email back and they said they would accept me fully matriculated, meaning that everything I did would count. All the classes I took would count as long as I can maintain a 3.0. That was some of the best news I had ever gotten. Because I want you to understand, in entertainment, I kind of hit a glass ceiling. In education, I hit a glass ceiling as well because my degree is in media arts. I'm not a certified educator. So if I was to leave the current job that I have now and go into a public school, I would just at that with just a bachelor's, I could only be a, a teacher's teacher's aide, which is no problem. I did teacher's aide for like five, six years. But then at some point in your life, you want something a little bit more. Substitute teaching, which I did five, six years, no problem. But at some point in your life, you want a little bit more. I did. The entertainment industry, I had kind of hit a point too. Like, I worked at WBLS for 15 years. I worked at Hot 97 for eight years. And radio was, it was it, it was a journey. Because I was like, yo, I'm really trying to like, I'm not trying to stay where I'm at in promotions and marketing. I'm trying to move into a programming on-air position. I think most people that work that come into radio, they, they understand like it's, 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 it's ladders and levels and politics that you have to kind of go through. After about 10 years and then multiple mergers and multiple ownership changes, it just wasn't clicking. I was just like, yo, this is crazy. So I had a choice. I could be bitter or I could be better. And part of being better was understanding the position I was in and kind of, I don't want to say accepting it, but literally accepting it and then looking for other ways to to push to better myself so now like i said the pandemic is going on but even before then i was kind of having those thoughts like well where am i going what am what am i doing i wanted to combine my passions of entertainment with my newly found passion of education because i'm i'm really doing well like i know some people have very poor teaching experiences, but I'm connected. I'm clicking in with my students. Classroom management, I got all of that under control. Like we're rolling. I think this is a gift that I have. I always say this too. If you could work in entertainment and you entertain people, you probably could work in education too. Because a lot of what I drew from my entertainment experience as a host are elements that I use within teaching. Because you got to keep those kids engaged. Just like if I'm hosting a show, I got to keep the crowd engaged. It's, it's like the same type of thing to a certain extent. So I decided 
that I needed to be better instead of bitter. So whatever that meant, if that meant going back to school, trying to focus on things that would benefit me later on in the future, that's what I was going to have to do. So I go ahead and I start my ed tech journey, which was absolutely amazing for me. I did have some hangups though, because I said, wow, it's been a long time since I've been in school. And then number two, this is a master's program. Like, am I going to be able to do this? Like, am I smart enough for this? You know, you start really like, you know, little insecurities might creep in. Time management was a big issue for me during my undergrad. But now that's not so much of an issue because I'm a lot more, I'm older now and I'm not ripping and running all over the place. Number one, because I'm older, but number two, because there's a worldwide pandemic going on. There's not too many people moving around like, you know, like we used to. So, okay, I can do this. I can definitely do this. So one of the things that I was able to gain through that first semester of studies was just using different online applications to engage my students. Like for instance, um, Quizlet. Quizlet is basically a platform where you can create your own quizzes. I spoke a little bit about this on the last episode. You can create your own content and put it in an online format for students to take tests. So that way you're able to assess where they're at with it. And they can't cheat really because it's it's your it's your test. It's not like I'm giving you something that you can go ahead and look up. So that was really cool. Ed Puzzle was basically another ed tech application that I was able to use to help out. Now this is when I'm teaching online. Ed Puzzle is basically YouTube, but there are questions inserted in it by different educators. Or you could take a YouTube video and make it an Ed Puzzle yourself. So if you're watching a five minute video on the Civil War, you can literally, after the first minute of conversation or dialogue, you can enter the question in. And what it does is it pauses that video and the question will pop up and you can't move on until you answer that question. And then the third tool that was really uh, transformative was Flip, formerly known as Flipgrid. And Flip basically works like Instagram, TikTok, all those other type of social media applications. We used Flipgrid to basically help understand our students a little bit better and more or less like an icebreaker. So like they like maybe during orientation, I would say everybody has to submit a two minute flip video talking about, you know, what brought you here to this program. And then they got all the bells and whistles on flip, like the filters, you know, little jiffies and stuff like that you could add to make your presentation more colorful and more exciting. So immediately the learnings from the EdTech program, they're immediately applicable in class, like literally the next day, like, oh, I just learned about this application. Let me go ahead and try this. So I knew I had made the right decision in terms of getting into this program. So the first two classes that I had was Intro to EdTech with Dr. Jimenez and then the second class was learning theories, motivation, and relationship to technology with Dr. Kozar, the same person that had helped me get into the program. So I had a determination like, listen, I am not the same person I was 15 years ago. You are not the same person you were 15 years ago, hopefully not. Whatever hangups that I have, 
I got to like push that to the side because now I know exactly what I have to do to get where I need to get. There are no excuses because I'm out of my 20s. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm not 20 something years old running around anymore. So I wanted this episode to just kind of be an inspiration because, yo, I'm telling you, your life might go through all types of twists and turns, but that's just life. And sometimes when we go through tribulations, what we need to understand is like everybody's going to go through them, number one. Number two, there's a lesson to be learned from that, right? So even through my struggles in the undergrad, when I, it took me all those years to get that bachelor's and I ended up getting 2.4, there was a learning lesson with that. And it wasn't a learning lesson that hit me directly after I got that diploma. It hit me years later because like I said, I didn't care about my GPA back then. I just wanted to get that degree. Let me get that degree. Let me get the... That's what I thought was the most important thing. But then later on down the line, you realize like, shoot, what if you want to go back? And when you just finish your undergrad and it took you as long as it took me, you're not thinking about going back to school necessarily. You might be like, no, nah, I'm not going back because that's, that's what I said. I had it in my mind because I had these early successes in entertainment. Like everything I auditioned for, I was getting it. So I, in my mind, I was like, yo, I'm, I'm about to be not wealthy, not rich, but I'm going to be comfortable working in entertainment. You know, there's going to be jobs all the time available for me. But like I said, that realization starts to hit you, you know, later on. And I'm not by any means discouraging anybody from entertainment. If that's your passion, you got to go for it. Because even when people were telling me back then how hard the business was, how unstable the business was, how standoffish the business could be, especially in the number one market, New York City. Woo. <laughs> There's some personalities in these entertainment companies. I'm telling you, a lot of egos mixed with insecurity, just all types of things that you have to deal with. But even with all of that being said, there was nothing that was going to deter me from trying to get a, a career in entertainment. Nothing, because that's what I was dead set on. You get older, you realize like, okay, there might be a different route that I could go. So I'm already in education just to add to the stability, just to kind of like pay the bills. But then I'm in education and I'm realizing like, oh, shoot, oh, you're pretty good. Pretty good working with young students. And other people are telling me this. It's not just me. Just, you know, they say, yo, you got a gift for working with these young people. Like they gravitate to you. They listen to you. They respect you. And it was true. So I said, all right. But I'm kind of, like I said, I'm at that glass ceiling because of this bachelor's. Now into the master's program, going back and I'm, 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 I'm talking about these three tools, Quizlet, Edpuzzle, and Flipgrid, now known as Flip, that I'm able to use. And I'm seeing the immediate payoff. Wow. So it's intro to EdTech and the learning theories, motivation, and relationship to technology, which is also very important because... Learning theories basically focus on how we learn. We all learn in different ways. Some of us can be told what to do and follow it. Some people have to watch and model certain behaviors to know what to do to follow it, right? It just, it just depends on what type of brain you got. It's no good or bad or anything in between. It's just that we all learn differently. And that's what the learning theories, motivation, and relationship to tech class was all about. I learned about the five major learning theories. We can get into all those different learning theories more in depth on a later episode. The motivation part of it spoke about two ends of motivation. This was a great 
explanation. Shout out to SpriggHR.com. That's S-P-R-I-G-G-H-R.com. They gave a very understandable definition of what those two motivations look like, intrinsic and extrinsic. Intrinsic motivation, according to Spriggs.com, Intrinsic motivation comes from within, while extrinsic motivation arises from external factors. When you are intrinsically motivated, you engage in an activity because you enjoy and get personal satisfaction from doing it. When you are extrinsically motivated, you do something in order to gain an external reward. And that comes from, once again, SpriggHR.com. And that was (laughs) very enlightening because I'm like, okay, wow. And Dr. Kozar is trying to teach us how to identify what intrinsic motivations are versus extrinsic motivations and how to apply that to our our classes, how to apply that to our students. So real quick, when we talk about gamification and we spoke about gamification last episode, which is basically the integration of gaming elements into non-game context. So that speaks about like a math game. We're not talking about Call of Duty here. We're talking about just educational content that can be used in a gamified way. If I'm intrinsically motivated, you don't really have to do too much to to get me to work. Because this is like for my masters, I'm intrinsically motivated. Like I, I had a passion to learn as much as I could about ed tech. Extrinsically would mean I'm not really so passionate about ed tech, but I know that ed tech STEM These are words that are being thrown around. This is the future. If I don't have a STEM background, it might be harder for me to get a degree. If I don't have a STEM background, it might be harder for me to get a job. So I'm going to take this ed tech because I'm extrinsically motivated. I'm just looking for the outcome. Like I'm not passionate about this thing, but I know that if I get this STEM certification, if I get this master's in ed tech, it's going to lead to jobs. It's going to lead to a better career. So sometimes it might be a little mix of both. It might be intrinsic and extrinsic motivation for some people when they're trying to achieve their goals. It depends. But when you're able to learn about what type of motivation your students have, then from there you can develop ways to try to engage them. So going back to gamification, a lot of students, they play to win. They're very competitive, right? So (laughs) extrinsically using gamification elements might get those students that are extrinsically motivated and not intrinsically motivated to actually participate and engage a lot more because now they're saying to themselves, wait a minute, this is a game, this is a competition, there's a first place, second place, third place. I don't really care for history, whatever we're, the topic we're about to go over. But if we're going to do this and it's going to be a competition, oh, I love to compete. So, and I like to win. I love to win. So I'm going to get involved with that. Unlike the DOE, our program, we can gift students with gift cards. So that's another type of extrinsic motivation. You might have a student that doesn't want to participate in some type of online activity or in-person activity. But if I put that caveat and I say, listen, man, you could get this on a dollar gift card. It might change the game. If they're extrinsically motivated, that becomes the process. And then hopefully through the ex- extrinsic motivation, because they're only trying it because they're going to get something out of it. Hopefully within that process, they actually end up liking some of the elements of what you're trying to do or they realize it wasn't that bad after all, was it? So that is what that class was all about. Learning about 
the behavioral theories, learning about how motivation works, and then learning how those two elements connect to technology. How do we use those elements in the midst of technology? So I want to talk a little bit more about some of the things that we worked on in both of those classes on the next episode. But this EdTech Ep Part 2 was just trying to give you guys a little bit of background on, on some of my motivation and in, in getting into EdTech as a whole. We started seeing a lot of new developments in terms of virtual reality and augmented reality happen over the course of the pandemic as well. Like it started to accelerate, like more companies are, are getting into these products now. And that's something that was just very intriguing to me. I said, yo, I really want to learn about these things. And I want to be the best educator that I can be for my students because I know how frustrating it was for many young people during the pandemic. My heart goes out to them. They didn't get the same school experiences that a lot of us did. Some of them missed out on like crucial social experiences, which was something that I wrote about in my thesis, the decline of socialization for our young adolescents and how important it was for them or how important it is for them to kind of gain socialization back as the world starts to quote unquote get back to normal. But I did not want my students to feel as if their teachers weren't working as hard as they could to make sure that they can get the information. Because at the end of the day, we're leaders. Whether somebody tells you that or not, if you're in charge of a classroom, you are a leader. Your students might not say it, but they're looking for you to help them, to help lead them. So if I'm not putting in the work to be the best educator I can be, because I'm going to be honest, like a lot of older teachers, they just was not with the tech. They was like, nah, I'm going to go ahead and retire. Uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not dealing with all this technology. And that's their that's their God given right. I'm not I'm not shaming them or anything. Some younger uh, teachers, you know, they they got sick of it. You know, they just was like overwhelmed with all the technology and saying, you know, I, I can't I can't deal with this. But I wanted to push through. I wanted to become an educator that was able to use the enhancements of technology to make things more efficient for our students and to really like put that passion in them or at least introduce them to something that would excite them to move further. Because if you're a good teacher, you can make things that are not interesting to that population interesting. I teach social studies. There's not a head down in my classroom when I start talking about Revolutionary War, Civil War, War One, World War II, because I'm able to integrate elements of technology within my lessons to make them less redundant. Repetition is a good thing, but redundancy is not. If a student can basically like come into the building and they know everything that's going to happen in the classroom verbatim, that's not always the greatest situation. Consistency is good. I ain't going to lie. Like If you're consistent, that's what's up. But you shouldn't be redundant. You should be able to switch things up and say, okay, we're going to try this today. We're going to try that today. And even if you struggle with the technology as a teacher, the one thing that students value, and I'm going to be honest with y'all, my 
learning theory that I was able to develop under the direction of Dr. Kozar, care and concern, it surpasses race, gender, all those things, because especially in the urban areas, I'll say, because it, it, you have to develop like a thicker skin living in the hood. I know <laughs> we can we can kind of feel when people are not feeling us. If you care and you have a genuine concern for your students, I'm not saying you're not going to have any problems at all, but that will start to seep through. I'm going to tell y'all, keep going. Show your students that you care. Listen to them. You're working with technology. Things get a little clumsy. You might press the wrong button, shut down the system. Oh, you hear all the O's and O's in class. Oh. Before you even get into some new technology, you talk to your students. You keep it 100 with your students. You say, listen, I'm trying to integrate technology into our lessons because I think it will help you to learn better. I think it will help you to retain information longer. This is why I'm doing it. You know how your parents used to say, just do it. And you say, why? Because I said so. That works for parents sometimes. For teachers, you want to like get into their heads, explain things to them sometimes, if not all the time, if time permits. This is why I'm doing A, B, and C. If A doesn't work out, be patient with me. We're going to work on this together until we figure it out. So if I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation or a Canva presentation and something goes left or something goes wrong, I admit that immediately. Hey, y'all, I'm a little stuck right now. I don't want to lose you, but I'm, I'm, let me try to figure this out. Does anybody have any ideas? Pull your students in. Don't be embarrassed. To make mistakes, you show your students your humanity, that you're a human being. We're not perfect people. You will more than likely make a better connection with them. So the integration of technology is not easy, but it's doable when you explain certain things. And when they have the understanding that you're doing all of this to help them benefit in the future, and you really mean that. And they can really sense that in you. Even if you have 100 technical difficulties throughout the day, those students will gain a respect and a patience for you. And as a matter of fact, they'll go out of their way, not all of them, but some of them, to make sure that, yo, Mr. Bailey, you know, let's try to plug this in here. Or, or let's try this chord. Because they understand what the mission is. They also understand that a lot of the technology that we're introducing in class are technologies that they're going to have to be familiar with when they get into the workforce. So I also tell them that I'm not just doing it just to do it. Meet your students where they're at and you can also bring them into where you're at. My students love the fact that I was obtaining a master's degree. Because they felt like, wow, Mr. Bailey, you're going to be a lot smarter. And if you're a lot smarter, then you're going to help us become a lot smarter. I understand, you know, the sacrifice that it takes to go back to school, to try something new. But that's where we're at in 2024. Because technology is going to continue to accelerate. So that's my intro into 
the ed tech world. And due to what was happening in the entertainment industry, the lack of events, I was really able to put my 10 toes down in the sand to get this. So when the entertainment opportunity finally ended post-pandemic, I was in a great space. I was a semester away from earning my master's. I'm going to be honest. The entertainment industry turnover is crazy. You could literally be the best at what you do. And I was seeing it. I saw it all throughout the years I worked in entertainment. Like, Why did that person lose their job? The business operates the way that it operates. Some people get let go. Some people get a chance to stay on. In radio, I worked through four different ownerships. Unheard of. I survived four different ownerships until my time was up. I was blessed, but I saw the writing on the wall. And that's why I said to myself, in addition to wanting to become a better educator, let me start putting that plan B into motion, like really putting it into motion so that I'm not just surviving out here. I'm thriving out here because I could still be a substitute teacher and survive, quote unquote, but I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. And I know you do, too. So that's why I put together this episode. And it was a little bit, you know, it, it kind of jumped from spot to spot to spot. But I just wanted to let y'all know educational technology is here to stay. STEM, STREAM and STEAM are only going to become more relevant as time goes on. Know what's going on out there in terms of these fields because it's becoming extremely important. It's already been extremely important, but now it's like, OK. They want to see that tech background. And a lot of teachers are looking of ways to get into the tech world or make their classrooms more tech friendly. Although I'm not telling you you have to get a master's in ed tech, I am going to promote New Jersey City University's educational technology department. I start my doctoral studies in the summer of this year, 2024, and I am super excited. The professors that I worked with were amazing, passionate, they cared, their enthusiasm was palpable. It, it just really was. And they supported me and they helped me to become a better educator and a better, more empathetic human being. Because you realize one of the major obstacles that we're dealing with in terms of technology as a whole is this digital divide. There are a lot of people in rural and urban areas that don't have access to the technology that some of us have and take for granted. So we really have to start working on that as well. And, and that's an American issue. It's, it's, a, it's a global issue as well, but that's right here in America, too. So my overall arching goal is to become an ed tech leader to really push these messages forward, which is why I started the podcast. I want to be able to speak about and teach about elements of ed tech to inspire others to get into the field, to erase any stigmas for you know African-Americans and people of color that might look at the tech industry as like, this is not a place for me. No, it is. My professors, they reiterated, you need a seat at this table. And, and they made me feel like I could be at the table. And I worked hard <laughs> to get a seat at that table and I'm going to continue to work hard. But I just want y'all to just 
you know, be on point with all the different things that are going on. So thank you for listening to this episode, the Ed Tech App Part 2. I'm your host, D. Bell, educational technologist, media arts specialist. Subscribe via Podbean. We're on most, if not all, streaming platforms, but my my distributor is Podbean. Yeah, I look forward to continue building with you guys, all of you. Like, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, which race you are, what gender you are. Let's just build. Let's continue on building on ways that we can use technology to make our lives a little bit more easy. And when I say easy, I don't mean like it's going to be no hard work at all. But technology just makes things easier. Think about like the ways that technology has brought us together. We think about, uh, you know, things like FaceTime or even Zoom. You know, where you could see somebody's talk to somebody from across the world. So if you want to reach out to me, my email is edtechbailey1 at gmail.com. It's edtechbailey, the number one at gmail.com. And I look forward to speaking to you guys on the next episode. This has been the Kobe Podcast with D-Bailey.